Hey there, if you would like ad-free and early versions of these episodes, as well as bonus episodes, movie club episodes, and lots more, head on over to patreon.com slash Craig and Friends. Make believe, it's not pretend, we might be ill, but we're on the mend. It never starts, it never ends, welcome to Craig and Friends, welcome to Craig and Friends, welcome to... I can hear myself. So and I, I can as well. So oh, good. We're off to a roaring start then. Yeah, we've got sound, we've got lights, we've got camera. We're in Los Angeles. I know, a lot of great things all <laughs> A at lot once. of great things are happening all at once. It might be too much for the audience. We'll have to figure that out. It, it might be, you know, we'll spoil it a little bit. We'll, we'll kind of stink it up. We'll screw it up somehow. Yeah, we're going to ruin it for them. Uh, that's what well, we have to. It's our duty. It is our duty, mm-hmm. I think, as queer people, as artists. <laughs> we have to make things awful to make it good. Yeah, exactly. And also, we have to sort of mediate. We can't just like give it full tilt. No, amazing. They're not ready for that. No, no, few you are. You drip, drip feed it. Exactly. Drip feed it and then gush them unexpectedly. <laughs> <laughs> so they're just left like floundering in the juices. Yes, exactly. What happened? And then they don't realize they're like, why did I like that so much? It's you're a, like, it's well, a- you're gay. <laughs> <laughs> Plot twist. Yeah. Guess no. what? Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> and, and to rhyme, you're in LA for how long? A week. A week. What brought you to LA? Besides this show, of course. This was the only reason I came. I thought so. Yeah. I mean, it was actually genuinely as soon as I found out I was coming that this was like the most exciting thing about being here. Oh, that's so exciting. It that's is. lovely. I was excited to have a, a in-person taping with you as well, because I just sort yeah. of thought as soon as everything started getting crazy again, I was like, okay, great. We're back to Zoom forever and Walls ever. back down. Yeah. 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 yeah Zoom meetings are... Ugh. Fun, fun, fun. Yeah. They're a magical place. Now, you must have done a lot of Zoom meetings because all of your projects were yeah. probably in a certain state of development at the time. So, where were you at when? When the first lockdown. Yeah. Actually, and you know what? Before we do that, I'd like to do my traditional delayed intro. Of course. That's the best way to do it. <laughs> it is. Because it, again, it's like we're it's, going a certain way, screw it up. Like, which, yeah, we're, we're screwing things up. We're flipping the script. What's that <laughs> film where they only do the intro like halfway through the movie? Oh, like the opening credits and stuff? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. The OA. Oh, I have not seen that. The TV show. They do the opening oh, okay. credits, but sometimes it's 10 minutes in and other times it's like 35 minutes in. And it's great because you don't know what's going on at all. And it's that's that's life. So there you go. <laughs> that's my favorite way to walk into a movie as well. Mm-hmm. I don't want to know pretty much anything. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I want to be on the edge in every sense of the word. Oh, absolutely. And it, it almost gets in the way of me recommending films to people because I'll see something that I knew nothing about. That's great, though. And, and no, it is. But then I want to tell people about it. And then you realize you have to hook some people sometimes with some info. Yeah. You can't just say it stars Deborah Winger. It's really good. Yeah. That's you, not. You can't just be like, there's a person in a dress. Some people die. <laughs> stars fall. And it's mostly blue. Yeah. A normal person is like, I need I need a narrative. And you're like, well, I don't got one for you. Yeah. Or I do. And I don't want to give it to you. Because I want you to enjoy it mm-hmm. the way you should. Absolutely. Like, no preconceptions yeah exactly nothing uh clouding up the uh the lens i definitely think that's ruined by things like netflix i was horrified to remember yet again when i was scrolling through that in prime Mm -hmm. i was looking at what was there and then they started playing a chunk from the trailer and i'm like no 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 
Yeah, or they'll just play. I like I like the Netflix ones when they couldn't be bothered to make a trailer. Yeah. <laughs> so you just get a random two minutes. Oh, that's not terrible. I, I like say. that a little better because they often don't pick the minute that really would ever be shown in the trailer. It's almost like it's just randomly selected by the AI. Yeah. So then yeah. you're like intrigued, but you're not given anything. Because the stuff that's shown in the trailer is rotten. It's terrible. And they the, they make the trailers specifically for Net, Netflix too long because they know that you're just going to kind of drift in and out of it. Mm -hmm. And then they just tell you the thing. There's so many trailers that tell you the whole thing. There was a couple 70s trailers I saw at New Beverly mm -hmm. that I was like, wow, like the paper chase. I, yeah. I haven't seen the movie, but I pretty much have seen, seen the, the movie. movie. Every single thing. that it, The trailer was almost four minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I excuse it in the 70s, like anything before the 2000s. I, yes. And even early 2000s, I excuse the overwinded trailer. Yeah. Because there was an art to that, too. And it was of that. I think it was indicative of the media of that time in a really cool way. Whereas yeah. now it doesn't have that magic for me, but I think that might just be the nostalgia playing into it as well. Well, there's a little bit of that, which I certainly uh, am guilty of, but also there's the thing where if you didn't see a lot about this movie in the three and a half minutes, where were you going to see anything about it? Because movies only played in movie theaters. Absolutely. And if you weren't able to get it in your town, you weren't able to get the movie. Yeah. So they got to like throw it. <laughs> Throw it all at you. Yeah. And like the Roger Corman trailers mm -hmm. were just nothing but like nudity, all the explosions in the movie. <laughs> yeah. And these I actually prefer because they're just like, well, also you see them now and you're just like, wow, there's lots of nudity. And then something yeah. blows up. And then- That's all you need in a movie. It is. He had some kind of rule about it. I got Well, he had the three girls rule where mm -hmm. there was a plot thing and it had to have three girls. The golden ratio. Yeah. <laughs> I think that should apply to movies in general. I think you should have to have like- so much nudity, yeah. So many explosions, yeah. Yeah, I think like leaning into the extremes of of cinema is a is a good thing. What are some of your favorite moments of extreme cinema? Oh, my favorite moments of extreme cinema. I mean, I love John Waters. Absolutely. Do you have a favorite John Waters, or even a favorite era? Uh, I don't know if I have a favorite era per se, but one I watched recently. I'm also, names elude me. So oh, that's, that's okay. That's probably going to be terrible for this whole thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the one about where they kidnap a Hollywood. Yes, Cecil B. Demented. Cecil B. Demented. And that's like a very late Waters. It's not it like is. one of the quote unquote classics. But I just think it is so fabulous. And I think it's so relevant now when we look at like celebrity culture and like uh, underground like usurping of media. Yeah. Especially now that like that line between official and unofficial media and content is so blurred. Right. It is so blurred. And almost non-existent, really. Yeah. You know, you're right. It doesn't exist anymore. So it's yeah. not, not even blurry. Yeah. It's it's just, a, it's all <laughs> opaque. We're just watercoloring the shit out of it. <laughs> it's like a mild film. It looks a little like mildew. Yeah. Someone's just licked the film, <laughs> stuck it on a window. Well, you know, in terms of not... Providing names. I didn't do that yet. Even though it's on the episode title, people are probably aware because they're hurriedly racing or had raced previously because they're listening to it now to listen to you. So I might as well introduce you. Dear listeners, from the grubby confines of the Tate Britain to the rarefied air of Bethnal Green Working Men's Club, my guest today has seen a lot and made most of it happen. Yeah. 
Yes, on this episode, we have a key operator in London's queer nightlife, a designer of exquisite masks and model for exquisite designers, a producer of illustrious, even infamous events, a queer performance artist, creative director, and much, much more. So stick your hand in the cookie jar with me and get ready for the one, the only, the Stella Marbles. That's me. I think that is the best introduction I've ever had. Oh, how wonderful. You were exquisite at that. Why, thank you. Very well done. I'm I'm honored and graced and um, (laughs) grateful to be here. (laughs) Oh, oh, I'm grateful to have you here. I came a long way. You did, all the way from the UK, which is one of my favorite territories in the world. Mm -hmm. Have you spent a lot of time there? A fair chunk of time. A few months last last year was, no, 2020. See, that's still... That's all gone. Time is all gone now. It is. It is. But um, started great. Then I ended up sick. And then I went home. But the other part was great. And before that, I was mm-hmm. there for a couple months in 2019. And I fell in love with it for sure. Yeah. No, it's it's a very cool. It's, it's, it's a great city. It's easily one of my favorite cities in the world. I mean, I'm biased because I grew taking my accent out of the picture. I've lived <laughs> there my, my whole life, basically. Mm-hmm. So, now, where was before that so uh i was born in new jersey but moved all the time when i was a kid was in singapore and england and back to america and then moved to england when i was eight and Mm -hmm. just been there ever since so internally i'm like a sausage roll (laughs) externally i'm a hot dog okay perfect yeah that's you know yeah so i'm a mutt in in many ways (laughs) but i but i i like it It keeps people on their toes (laughs) now do you have many memories of singapore what age were you roughly when you were there i was quite young i was uh how old was i uh like five six Mm -hmm. and then we went back once when i was 10 so like the blurry childhood memories but in a but still very distinct because it's such a unique, powerful environment out there. Sure. You know, like get, getting to travel to like Thailand and to, mm. you know, I was very fortunate as a kid to have those experiences. So, but it's, I haven't been back to that part of the world in a long time. So, but you've traveled around quite a bit though, right? With your projects and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was for my, for my parents' work, I traveled a lot with them. Um, as a kid and then now i'm really really lucky I, ha- I had a break i think when i got into nightlife in london i really sunk my teeth <laughs> and my roots into that city which yeah. was good it was nice to for someone who's always moved around it was so nice to have like a physical home yeah and a physical community in london's like queer nightlife right but now over the last like year i'm now back to hopping around again right and yeah. we're going to pause for just one second because of my paranoia that I... No, the red light's on. Okay. Let me just double check. Yeah, of course. It's... Technology is not our friend. No, it's not. <laughs> as soon as it's something important, they know. <laughs> you <laughs> got to sang- trick, it, trick yeah. it into working. Yeah, you do have to trick it into working. Mm-hmm. Although, uh, I want to get eventually just two matched iPhones. So, they're just sat across. And really, you would just have yes. my image in there. And then you could tell me, oh, you're out of focus or out of frame. But you would yeah. have to be set. Yeah. yeah, just like all the little... Yep, spider webs. Yeah, exactly. And you'd have to do less lighting as well. Yeah, that's. I, I'm excited for the day when we just have little like floating orbs. <laughs> yeah. That we can just like kind of direct, direct and yeah. they 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 do it all, and it's very like intuitive. <laughs> I'm ready to be a cyborg. You know what I mean? Yeah, singularity might not be that bad. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it'll go as doomsday. Maybe as uh, Ridley Scott and the Wachowski. Yeah, um, sometimes I do want to like be a sentinel be like the alien and alien 
but then I like how you dropped right. You were very optimistic, and you're like, I, I could go for that. I could be that. It doesn't. That doesn't scare me. I think because. <laughs> I think, Wait, which part of the alien doesn't scare you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be clear, I do not want to be eaten by the alien. If I saw it, I would definitely like lose all of the fluids in my body at a rapid pace. Okay, yeah. But I would love to be the alien. Oh, okay, sure. And I think a world in which we were kind of alien hybrid creatures wouldn't necessarily be a bad one. That's an interesting take because uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what their world would look like or what the world would look like after Alien. I mean, I haven't seen any of the sequels. You know why? Because uh, I'm so the, squeamish with the... the oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's brutal. And yeah. especially now that they've got... And actually the the new or like the prequel sequels, like mm-hmm. the... Um, I'm going to say Morpheus. It's not Morpheus. It might be, isn't this it? Is the name, this is the name thing. Prometheus. Prometheus. It's um, okay. Because they now have all the CGI, which is actually done quite well in those, yeah. it's even more gut-wrenching. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad that they- In a good way. I'm glad they improved it. They want to remove your stomach in <laughs> in a metaphorical sense. <laughs> <laughs> it is such a brilliant movie. I know I'm going to have to watch it again because I'm getting into a Ridley Scott fixation. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't wait to see House of Gucci. I was hoping to see that. Yeah. But then I was like, can't go to the- theaters in massachusetts but yeah not it's not the time i know i'm i'm curious because i've i'm most familiar with ridley scott through sci-fi and i'm very interested to see how they approach and obviously i've heard mixed reviews i've heard people who hate it and love it but i like i'm more trusting of a movie when it polarizes people same here if it's a movie where everyone loves it i'm a little bit like did they do enough did they push it enough if you don't kind of hate it? You know what I mean? If someone doesn't have an issue with it, I'm like, hmm. Also, the thing where everyone's like, oh, you know, you really have to see this. Once I hear that about eight times, that's I hate it. that so much. Yeah. I purposefully avoid movies, books, TV shows where everyone's reading and watching it. So do I. It's not to say that I won't watch that, but I often then wait because yeah. I'm like, how much of this is hype and how much of it is true quality? Right. And that you can only see over time. So I like to watch it after it's been out for like three or four seasons. Yeah. Because if it's still holding and if the trajectory has been good. Yeah. Then I'm like, okay, well, you know, now it's like I'll I'll jump into the waters after the the fizz has left the soda, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> Same here. And sometimes people express shock and dismay if I haven't seen something. Yeah. Something really bothers me about that because I'm like, oh, you mean I haven't been hip enough to watch the thing that's been heavily promoted on every platform that you have access to? I guess you're right. I'm not hip. I don't know. Yeah. It's like how much it's like you're you're buying into the machine. They know they know what they're doing. And, and, you know, look, that's fine. Like big popular movies. Mm -hmm. Most a lot. Most of them are really good. Yeah. Or a lot of them. But then you think about a movie like American Beauty. And mm-hmm. oh my God, is that piece piece of shit? Yeah. It's not even a piece of shit. It's just piece of shit. That's yeah. why I left out the A. It's not A. You can't like hold it on its own. It just joins <laughs> the pile of other shit. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's weird at the same time. I, I hate the sort of hardcore anti-orthodoxy that you see in a lot of Twitter feeds where they want to rip Martin Scorsese and mm-hmm. yet have no real understanding of the films. Yeah. And he's just one of many directors that mm-hmm. this happens to. Yeah. What are some art crimes you're bothered with right now? <laughs> art crimes. Oh, God. I just like that expression. I heard theater crime That's used the other day. That's a great expression, art crimes. It's good. I think Bowie used it a bunch in the Outside album. That makes sense. Are you a Bowie fan? I don't know. I definitely like I like Bowie, but I wouldn't say I'm a fan in that I'm well versed. Oh, well, that's okay. If that you makes just, sense. No, you enjoy. Yeah, I enjoy yeah. their work. I've en- I enjoy their art. 
Um, yeah, I've actually been listening to Bowie more uh, recently, funnily enough. Yeah. But um, in preparation for this, in preparation <laughs> for this moment, that's often the way it happens. You just happen to start seeing something, mm-hmm. yeah, and then all of a sudden it becomes very relevant, right? And that's like the matrix, you know, works in mysterious ways. It does. Well, that's actually how I lead. I find myself led to films or mm-hmm. podcasts or whatever. It's just something strikes my interest, or I hear about something somewhere. Yeah, something triggers some kind of interest, and then I just I say it. Usually, what I say is I go where my nose leads me. Yep. And that's kind of it. And you got to find the stink. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm just always looking for the stink, right? Yeah, I just want to be covered in goo and <laughs> smell terrible. I want to be repulsive to others. What can I say? You do want to be the alien. Exactly. This is it. You want to be the alien. That's the goal. I think we've arrived at the core of your aesthetic and I think internal so. drive. Yeah, it's really not that complicated either. <laughs> but let's get into all that. When you talked about getting yeah. your teeth sunk into the... London nightlife scene. Yes. What were the circumstances and around what age were you? So I was, um, how old was I? Like 21. Um, and I just finished university in Exeter. I was in uh, studying English literature. Huh. And I kind of did a full 360, 180 because I had been, like I always knew I was queer. I mean, I knew I wasn't straight, you know? <laughs> I knew I wasn't you know, by the book, but I lived a relatively quote unquote straight head life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I worked in journalism and I studied English and I was just like being the good kid. Um, But I was just so suffocated by it, you know, and I think that that finally came to fruition when I was in my last year of university and I hit this like huge depression and just like tunneled, right? Um, How did the depression start? Was it incremental? Did it hit you like a wall? It was definitely incremental because my university was uh, actually it went on strike. Mm -hmm. There was a teacher strike across the UK. Oh, wow. And so we didn't have classes Mm -hmm. for my whole last semester of university. And we were just kind of left stranded, right? And just just had to do our dissertation and find our way on our own. (laughs) And so then I was just like, okay, well, what am I... And that, and it gave me then a lot of time to be like, well, what am I doing? Why yeah. am I here? What has all this work, uh, like, culminated to? Sure. Um, but it was a it was a good thing because then, as I was then slowly digging myself a little burrow in the ground, um, <laughs> I then just started like reading about, you know, queer nightlife and drag and its history and, um, and that just then and then like. I was going back to London mm-hmm. as an escape, you know, from what was like a small university town and just throwing myself into nightlife. But it was a weird thing where even though it came and I in many ways I became who I was always always was. Sure. But to everyone around me, I became a completely different person, mm-hmm. you know, in such a drastic way. Um, Would this be appearance or bo- both. behavior? Yeah. yeah, I think I think I think behavior it was more subtle, you mm-hmm. know. I'm still like a dumb bitch <laughs> and still like, you know, I still have a lot of the same interests and, and so on and so forth. But my appearance changed just my kind of, I think, assertion of myself. Sure. I know what you mean. Changed. Yeah. Um, and but it was funny because even though it was like kind of out of the blue, it's like as soon as I found that community, the like queer nightlife and the drag scene, which in London is so wonderfully subversive and punk and diverse you know and so readily available as well 
I yeah. Mean, I mean, I went to Bethnal Green uh, mm-hmm. uh, twice, yeah, twice, yeah. and a couple other places, but I couldn't believe how many places there were because in contrast, yes, LA does have mm-hmm. a number of things, right? But LA's thick with it. I yeah. mean, I'm sorry, London stick with it is what I meant to say. Oh, yeah. yeah. London is a sludge of, of queer <laughs> creativity. It's a yeah. gruel, if you will. Um, <laughs> trying to wade through it. Yeah. Like, oh, please. You're literally like, it's like when you're trying to get through snow and your legs are hurting because you're putting all the muscle <laughs> uh-huh. into it. Um, yeah, it is. And it, I think I think that was part of the shift as well as me. Because like, for so long, I I knew I wasn't straight, but I didn't understand what queerness looked like for me Mm -hmm. i didn't understand how i could be that in a way that felt like me because so much of my media growing up was like it was the butch dyke it was you know the media was very limited yeah in a lot of ways yeah there'd be like the tough rugged character maybe on the better end of the spectrum yeah who was kind of friends with the girl or there was that trope of like the rugged one who was friends with the girl and wanted to be with the girl but couldn't exactly it was never it was never something that i felt empowered by <laughs> yeah in any way and so you didn't want to go hey that that could be me yeah that's I what i want like, i don't yeah. want to wear a jean vest jacket <laughs> like i love that for many people but it's not me yeah um and so seeing this one being like oh women and non-cis men you know do drag and there's like club kid drag which is can be anything and everything you know but also being like you know, queerness can look, it can be whatever you want it to be, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, and, and for me, it was a way of just rejecting all the norms of society and just creating my own rules that had always been kind of uh, suppressing, mm-hmm. you know? So it, it was then one of those things where it came out of the blue. But as soon as I found that world, I knew kind of exactly what I wanted to do. And I kind of hit it very, very fast yeah. and just got and started doing a lot very fast mm-hmm. in a way that I think a lot of people were surprised by. They were just like, this person came out of nowhere and now they're just doing all these things. <laughs> but it was because I think I was hungry for it for so long. Yeah. You know. And you were probably accruing all this information anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, divining it from various media and everything and storing yeah. it back there. And then suddenly you realize, oh, wait, no wonder I was so interested in this that yeah this (laughs) it's like all of a sudden you're like oh like you're you're connecting the dots and then you step back and you're like oh this picture was always there right now when you said that this was all triggered by the semester where the teachers were off on holiday do you think that your life was very regimented up until that point um i'd say like yes and no uh because i was lucky i was fortunate in many senses of you know my parents we're always super accepting, you know, I'm very, very lucky in that as like a queer person. And, um, I mean, you know, they grew up or they, what they were like in their twenties in New York in like the eighties and nineties. Oh, well, say no more. So, you know, they were, they were very familiar with that world, you know, like you'd have to be really thick to not to like in New York in the eighties and not be like aware. Yeah. Not be aware, not be with it, you know? Um, and then like I went to, uh, an international school oh. in London because we moved so much, so it was just an easier. You know, we didn't know where we were going to be. Yeah. Um, and so again, I was uh, surra- there was people from all over the world at my school, mm-hmm. which was also really fortunate. You know, getting to yeah. be exposed to that, but at the same time, I think 
there was still a lot in terms of the expectations of what you have to be, what especially in an academic context, I think, and sure. in an achievement context. Yeah. You know, it was like you need to do business or English and then you need to get the good job and you need to like and and a lot of it wasn't even like my parents were never like overtly that way. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it was just implied by my environment. Sure. Which yeah. is weird in a way, like I think also some of it was I only realized in retrospect a lot of it was self inflicted. Right. You know, because I lived in London my whole life. That world was there always. And I was aware of the punk world. I was aware of all these places, but I think I just wasn't ready to be that thing. Sure. And I was afraid of it, you know, and, and I was afraid of uh the the power of it and of the the possibilities of it. Um so I think in a way, like sometimes I regret that I didn't find it earlier, but I also think I found it at the right time when I was ready to to come into it with like an awareness of both the dangers and the uh, the benefits. Yeah. I think everyone actually comes into it at the right time. Yeah. I mean, I realized I was queer much later in life than a lot of other folks, mm-hmm. but then that has its advantages as well. And then also it's like screaming out of the gate. You know, you're like, okay, like, let's make up for... <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. You're like, I am ready to go. And when when was that kind of time for you? Or what was the, what was two, the trigger for you? Two to three years ago, roughly. Mm-hmm. We were yeah, already... so we were similar kind of... Oh, was okay. like four years, really. Okay, yeah. And which is a, f- a fun, comfy place to be with it, right? Mm-hmm. Now, except I remember being very frustrated because <laughs> last year, because I was like, oh, gee, you know, I live in like a honeypot for grinder, but I just can't, I just can't do it. I oh, just can't I do it. The lockdown world was, it was a weird one. Yeah, exactly. And I'd been in London for so many months, it's not like I had a situation set up, you know what I mean? Yeah. So anyway, but those days are gone, thankfully. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So as depressing as the news might seem, remember folks, you can have sex with strangers again. You can. You, you can. can. just go out on the street. <laughs> <laughs> in a nice way consensually be like hey do you want to see me naked and they might say no but they might say yes that's mm-hmm. right and there's a lot of other people on the street probably unless you're in a rural area then it might be a long way yeah. before you see another person yeah like just don't walk up to children like just yeah have some like, parameters have but... some parameters to who you ask <laughs> <laughs> but don't be afraid exactly exactly and then uh text check it out that way too uh, when you said the dangers, what uh, are some of the dangers that you would? So, I mean, for me, dangers, I think, you know, dangers can mean so many things. Like, you know, I'm, for me, I have a lot of privilege as someone who's white, you know, and as someone who's, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really use labels in terms of my gender identity, but I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm cis. But I don't claim transness for myself because mm-hmm. I'm comfortable in my body. I'm just not comfortable in how people perceive and try to categorize my own body, if that makes sense. Sure. You know, so in that sense, I'm very fortunate in comparison to a lot of people who face racism and transphobia and all of that. Mm-hmm. But um, for me, the dangers was more uh, in relation to being in nightlife and the that whirlpool of of drugs and of... You know, it's it's a place of extremes and it's so, you know, as someone who often thrives in those extremes, it was a very powerful place, you know, Yeah. getting to explore all these parts of myself that I've been limited. But it's also a whirlpool that you can get sucked into in a health way, in like a a mental health way, a physical health way. Um, And I think if I'd found, 
you know, I saw it all the time. These kids get to London at like 18 mm-hmm. and they just burn out. You know, they get yeah. into nightlife and it's everything they've ever wanted. And then it's like you you eat the candy until you're sick. Yeah. And sometimes that's in a mild way where they just have to step back. And sometimes like kids get hurt, you know. Um, and I say kids like that, in a, that which might be drug traits. Like, you, know, you know, these are adults who are some of the smartest people I know. Sure. You know, but you're still kids in the sense of you're unfamiliar in that world. Yeah. So I think it's a very appropriate term. <laughs> yeah. We're all kids in a way, in all yeah. relative senses, you know. Kid at heart, right? Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there are always those people who, especially if they're swanning around in the focus of things mm-hmm. and think that they're like the new Marilyn or oh, something. absolutely. And right? they do. And I did it too. We all had Every, our everyone, moment everyone. of being like, I <laughs> am the shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We can all relate. We've all had our moments there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we will again. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. It's hopefully it's a, it's like a snake eating its tail, you know. <laughs> I'm sure Marilyn will get back into doing the uh, Oh, she's she's waiting in the wings for sure. Her and Elvis and all <laughs> that whole crew. Well, I meant uh Marilyn Peter what's Rob what's Peter what's her oh, name? Yes. Um calling your name Marilyn. Yes. Boy George's friend. Yes. I try yes, not yes. to say that cuz that feels like you're no, of course, Cheap but name. it's it's you know it's how how we connect the web. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, let's say new romantic Marilyn. There we Absolutely. go. That's better. Yeah. So that's a contextualization. That less offensive. Yeah. Less yes. offensive to Marilyn <laughs> in case Marilyn hears it. Because Marilyn, come on the show. Um, yes. Right? Come join us. Yes. Exactly. Join the cult. <laughs> <laughs> so, but then you said the benefits, of course, and those are maybe obvious. But what would you yeah. pick as maybe one of the highlight benefits? For me, I mean. A lot of it was just understand it's, you know, it's the art and it's the knowing like the queer history and seeing our place in it to me, which to me is such like a divine and important one, you know, is this heritage of people who provoke society, who challenge, mm-hmm. who are really trying to find in every way of their life, like what it means to be human and what what humanity can be. Yeah. You know, and so that's at the most like kind of spiritual, creative, altruistic sense, you know. But then in the real sense, it's um, or not the real, it's all real. But in the more like grounded sense, it's the community. Mm-hmm. To me, that was like really what saved me, you know, was finding like a community of artists and friends who, you know, inspired me and who I just could explore who I was with with complete kind of freedom and acceptance, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, there's still, I still faced like the kind of the misogyny of the, you know, the queer community, the gay, the gay community. It's, yeah. it's still, it's everywhere, you yeah. know, and it's it's in the world and it's definitely, a, you know, still a huge thing in, in like LGBTQ community spaces. Um, but I'm fortunate that London is really like, you know, a place where the weirdos and the freaks, we thrive. And it's yeah. like you said, there's so many places yeah. in a way that I think is even in a, like cities like LA and in New York, like it's not to say that they don't have these thriving communities, but I think having like spaces for just so many forms of weirdness and punk subversion, yeah. I think London's very unique yeah, in that I, way. And hyper progressive. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Yeah, we like to cause problems. (laughs) (laughs) That's what progressive means, right? Yes. That's what I thought. Yeah, that's why I signed up. 
And now a special word from... Hi, Divas. It's me, Rubber Child. And if you want to, I would appreciate it if you could check out the link in the description box down there a little bit lower for my GoFundMe for my medical transition. I would really appreciate it. And even if you can't, a little share is free. A little like is free. And I appreciate it. And I love you all. Mm. Mm. And don't you want to return that love? So that's right. Just take those fingers and go down just a little bit further and uh, and <laughs> press right where you know where you should. <laughs> oh, see, you, you already feel the difference. Now, mm-hmm. donate and share. Do both. If you can't donate, just share. Okay. What was uh, your friendships with other folks like before that? Before that, like I, uh, it's a very strange thing. Um, I, my friends actually who I had in school when I was like 11, 12, 13, this like very small group of like a few girls and people, um, they all left my school when I was 14, but I've kept in touch with them hmm. my whole life. Like, I actually saw one of them today. She lives in L.A. now. Oh, cool. And, you know, we often go years without seeing each other. But when you see them, it's just, like, right off the bat. Yeah. You know, but after that very, like, kind of rare group of, you know, childhood friends who just, you maintain that connection, it was just a lot of, um, I think, superficial friendships or friendships that were just misguided you know i was looking for something i think for like a trueness or for like a sense of communion Mm -hmm. that wasn't really there sure and it's not to say that they weren't good friendships Mm -hmm. you know some were just bad (laughs) and some were good but (laughs) it it wasn't one where it's like you really feel like seen uh seen in your soul and also feel like challenged yeah you know because i think those are the best friendships and i think that's what i then found was like all these friendships who, and also who endlessly inspired me, you know, mm-hmm. I look at these people and I'm like, these are some of the most incredible artists in the world and are constantly making me step back and be like, holy shit, yeah. this is some incredible stuff. And 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 that's the, the best way to be because you're constantly um, reverent to the community that you're a part of. You're constantly learning from it. And so then it feels so... Um, nourishing to give to it. Sure. And also, you're not the only one doing something mm-hmm. of that nature. And yeah. it makes you always make sure that your game is as high as it can be. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're, you never sit back on your laurels and like, well, I did it. <laughs> I did the thing. I'm pretty good now. Yeah. I'm I can done. just coast for a while. Yeah. The, yeah. That's thing is you never, I think, yeah, you know, you never want to coast or you right. never feel like you can coast, but it, but it's also like you, it's, it's why we say queer family, mm-hmm. you know, in a very, in a very real way. And I think also, I, like, I connected with what you said about, like, I think being queer in, in a way that isn't, like, not, like, queer inherently is, like, anti-rule book, right? Well, that's why I like the, the term queer over pan or anything else. Me too, yeah. And uh, that that's why, like, that's really the only label I give myself. Mm-hmm. Like I, other than that, in terms, I'm like, that just encompasses my sexuality, my gender identity, all my way of life, my way of thinking, yeah. all of it. Cause I'm like, it's, it's just me one that's like against the norms, against the constructs of society mm-hmm. in how you, in how you construct your sense of self Yeah. in whatever way that means. Cause even, yeah, like pansexual or bisexual or gay, those are still like restrictions and restrictions that are so embedded in 
and capitalism and clo- colonialism and mm-hmm. all these uh, subversive and sometimes o- overt ways. Um, but yeah, I think Lo- that was also part of it was finding people in London who, and just in the world in queer spaces who accepted that I wasn't just gay. Sure. You know, cause for me it's, it's, it's people like, you know, I'll date, you know, anyone of kind of any gender identity and kind of expression. It's just, right. it's just about who they are and also having non like normative relationships, you know, having polyamorous relationships, having, you know, various open relationships and just allowing yourself to be very fluid in that. Yeah. And even in the queer community, that's still something that is, uh, that there isn't always a, it's always, there can be a contested relationship. Oh, contested in contested, the way of. Contested in that we still, uh, we still are sometimes communally, I think, restricted, you know, by like the expectations both right. of society of like what it means to be gay. Sure. You know, but also of each other and ourselves. You know, we often feel like we have to achieve a certain level of like queerness or there are certain markers yes, right, that we right. need to be. And also it's like we live in a world that expects it to be um like easy to understand. Mm-hmm. It's like even amongst like les like either lesbian circles or just queer circles. I was afraid if I was like, well, if I date someone who's a cis man or someone who's more masculine presenting, people might que- some people might question or then invalidate my queerness. Sure. Whereas, like, if I was with a woman, there'd be no questions. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So there's still a little a little bit of that, but it's nice. I, it's nice to see that more and more visibility. And I think conversations are happening. I think it's really important because I think that definitely still happens. Even the thing where people will assume that whatever you're doing at the moment, that's exactly what you are totally. Mm-hmm. Or oh, that must have been a phase, or that's, yeah. they're not really this, et cetera. Yeah, oh yeah, the phase mentality, it's um, it's hard for us to get out of, you mm-hmm. know? And I think that ties into the, the label thing as well, because uh, even if you're creating a, a label that is pansexual or so on, it's still a structure. Sure. You know, and I mean, at the same time, labels are empowering. Yeah. And we're, we are, you know, language is the structure inherently yeah. and, and we, we can't completely escape it by nature. But, uh, I think I, it's, it's a hard balance in, in a world where we often use labels to empower and protect ourselves as well. Yeah. Cause, you know, like we are fortunate to live in cities where we can openly be queer. Right. Absolutely. Because for a lot of people, they can't yeah you know so it's like it's it's hard because we're at so many different places in the world and it's easy to get stuck in our bubbles of either being like ultimate liberation or just survival Mm -hmm. so trying to account for all of that in language is just like a total mind fuck yeah and then also you don't want to get too jaded and be like well that's not enough i need another thing i you know i completely or i don't want to be tied down to this thing when it could also be viewed the other way yeah, I think it's 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 like anything else and it's the cheesy thing of just being like let people do what they want as yeah. long as they're not hurting others, you know, as long as it's kind of if, if people want if people want to use labels great, if people don't want to use yeah. them great. Yeah. Exactly. As long as you like, you know. As long as you respect whatever the other person is doing. Absolutely. I think that's the key to it. Yeah. Too. Which is really uh, the essence of the pronoun discussion. Yeah. Like I I never understand when people make a big stink about 
oh, now I have to put the my he him on on this or whatever. It's like, well, is that really a problem? Is that is it a problem? And isn't yeah. it better for the people who this is a problem for? And mm-hmm. so you don't have a problem with it, right? Like you're in your life. Yeah. Isn't that good for you? And shouldn't you think, oh, well, wait a second. I can do something that literally takes seconds, if yeah. that, and it's fine. But someone wants to have a problem with that sometimes. There's always an example. You can always find there's that always kind of thing. There's always a reason. And I think we, we as a as a society love we love to find problems and things. Oh, and also to go, oh wait, I gotta I gotta do that now? Yeah. I gotta do that. Yeah. <laughs> but I think part of that, and this is when you get into like the big, like looming thing of it's like, you know, we we you know we live in a society that by you know, by the nature of like, you know, capitalism and global warming, all these things, it's like we're all so worn down. Oh, yeah. You know, like we li- we don't live in a, we most, I think any of us live in a society that like really cares for us and holds us and like supports us. Right. In any real way. So it's hard because everyone's, you know, we're all existing within our own internal struggles. Mm-hmm. And so when often when you're offered something that you're unfamiliar with, you're like, but Why? Like, yeah. I'm already just trying to do this. Why are you giving me more to think about? I'm just trying to make it through the day, right. you know? And so that doesn't excuse any of those behaviors, of course. No, but it's... It contextualizes them, Yeah, it. exactly. And context is everything. Yeah. Especially with reactions like that. Yeah. So I think once you start looking at the context, you can then work out why someone might be a pain in the ass or why someone is doing this or what have you. Uh, oh, I'm living or you can let pillows. that drop. It's okay. It, it is oh. comfy. Though. I like living in this small little globe of of pillows. <laughs> um, no, it's true, and I think that's like the hardest uh, thing with like all these waves of. I mean, in many cases, extremism or just like you know ignorance, and mm-hmm. which is it's all rooted in fear. You yeah. know, it's all rooted in fear. Oh, and, and a smugness, though, too. Oh, like with 100%. Dave Chappelle, yeah, who. I really liked, I'm not saying I knew all of his work very intimately, yeah. but I was like, I always, I always thought, this guy's great. Yeah. He's very incisive, very thoughtful. That all went out the window. Yeah. With the whole, I've met Caitlyn Jenner. She's a wonderful person. Ms. Jenner's never been a great yeah. person. There, there's nothing about that. Yeah. But what I thought was, because I did watch that special, obviously, because I was like curious about yeah. what was said in the narrative and what I thought was interesting kind of brings me back to the point i was thinking about is when they were talking in the very end about that woman who uh killed herself after all of that twitter abuse you know because she supported Chappelle. i was like you know not that he was necessarily making a valid a valid point in the wider narrative yeah but i was like it does show that like this is it's never an us versus them like, yeah, we are also part of the problem. We also ridicule members of our own community and we don't, we often don't allow for open dialogue. We don't allow for people to make mistakes. Yes. You know, and cancel culture is a part of that. And and also in that thing of like, when people have these opposing opinions that are hateful and they are hurtful, mm. you know, and it's like, we don't excuse that, but if we have this mentality of, oh, if they're not with us, they're completely against us. And we must then direct all of our hate at those people. We're never going to get anywhere. Right. 
It's like, and it's the, that's the hard thing. And especially for queer people, it's so hard to look at each other and be like, okay, we have to, because it's been our, for most of it's been our whole life of us doing the work for them. Sure. To teach them and to hope that they'll, with education, come into the fold. But it's like, really, that's the only thing we can try to do and try to foster, you know, is that kind of compassion or just not not always compassion like we can be fucking angry oh yeah you know but of looking at both there could be anger and yeah they they can coexist and it's also looking at it and being like where trying to understand not not justify be like where did that come from like what created that way of thinking and with Chappelle, my feeling is that the smugness and the deliberate ah i have to do what i think is come from him being in a cosseted bubble yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And there's too many of the comedians who consider themselves centrist that are kind of leaning to the right more than they realize. And, Absolutely. And they talk to almost no one else but each other. Mm-hmm. And that just breeds a level of ignorance that they don't even realize is ignorance. It's creeping in. Yeah. Because they're getting attacked for saying this, that, or the other thing. Yeah. It's 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 the you know mechanisms of misogyny and patriarchy that they're lifted into it's also the industry um you know celebrity culture yes that's that the key right the, 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 the ego boost you yeah. know and it's like again it's like rather than looking at the symptom of an illness you have to look at well what created that in the first place right. and how do we you know how do we disentangle disentangle that exactly because yeah. it's like you can't i don't know just uh wholesale dismiss say the works of Chappelle, right or mm-hmm. his contributions to the culture yeah. for the 20 plus 30 years or maybe or how that, longer say than that, that say yeah. that they are just a unequivocally um a bigot a uh, bad person right, yeah right it's like no this is a cult it's the same thing as like the me too movement and fucking you know blm it's like this is a societal thing yeah you know that is constructed by many people and has many impacts and mm. it's hard that's the hard thing it's so hard to be like, there is not an easy solution to this. Oh, no, right. The problem is you have to keep digging and peeling layers in the onion, mm-hmm. and it never stops. It's a very big onion. It's a massive onion. Yeah. Yes, it's very big. Yeah. But you have to keep doing that. Mm-hmm. And I think the trouble we can all find ourselves in is when we are reductionist about yeah. things because it's the easy path to take mm-hmm. because our base nature wants to go to that. We're yeah. tired, like you said. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just like, well, fuck that guy. Now, listen, I still say fuck that guy when yeah. it comes to that special, right? Absolutely. Um, but, and I don't have like an alternative to say, but we should, you know, but like you said, there's a more whole picture of this guy. And clearly to me anyway, it's that he's completely misunderstanding what this whole thing is about. Yeah. And, and then he's doubling down on it because he's a guy who started comedy when he was like 17 or something and yeah. was already making a living at it fully without any other job by 21, say. I might have the ages off yeah. a little bit. But from a long, long time. A yeah. long time. So someone like him or someone like Bill Maher, who's also gone a little bit twisted recently, mm-hmm. and I know some people just hate him outright, but yeah. uh, there's this thing of when you have people like that who have had to make their own way, and you, RuPaul, the same thing, yeah. made their own way, uh, did it for themselves, et cetera, et cetera. They have this hard shell around them because they kind of had to in the to. past. You know? Yeah. And so at a certain point, they reject a 
mm-hmm. of the either constructive criticism or invective yeah. coming their way. No, it's true. And it's like we don't create a space in culture anymore. Uh, I, I think it's not to say we don't, but I think it's harder for celebrities or anyone and this isn't being like oh poor celebrities at all you know <laughs> no certainly not not at yeah. all but like although again, my heart bleeds for the kardashians no that's uh, that's they just have such a hard time <laughs> <laughs> i know that's what we were going to talk this whole time about too i don't know how we got off topic but yeah how did we not do a 40 minute special about the kardashians that's coming to patreon yeah it is we're gonna do a special <laughs> edition <laughs> the funny thing is i i to a quick caveat i actually know very little i've never i've never really watched the reality tv show i only get it from like kind of social media but i find them fascinating and horrifying well that's the other time. interesting thing about them is that so there's the very many there's various levels of awareness there's mm-hmm. you watch the show which i've only seen clips of every single time they're on a couch eating salad okay good way to spend your time not a bad one I would like to do that all the time. So I'm on a, we're on a couch now. We don't have a salad, but it doesn't really lend itself we to can, the audio format. Yeah, I mean, we can think about salad. Yeah, we could have a salad after. This is a good point. Okay, good. See, this is the kind of compromise that we've been talking about that exactly. people need to arrive at. We are bringing people together. We're bringing salads and couches together. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And a whole new way to look at things. And then there's the awareness of them on just some social media. And then there's another layer, which is just what you hear about from people who only are aware of them from social media and i actually had to overcome my bias against the kardashian empire if you will Mm -hmm. and watch david letterman's hour-long chat with kim yeah uh, on his netflix series i still haven't gotten to the kanye one i'm like oh i'm gonna need yeah kanye's uh, a little harder for me yeah exactly and i did see the clip you know as we said netflix will play a little clip and he was talking about how eventually babies will just float in the air. And I was like, okay, I can't. Right now, I just can't with this. Yeah, I'm not ready yet. We come in here and suddenly we're in a higher place. It actually, you get a sensation of floating. You know, I have this dream of having grandkids that can actually float. Because they're so unprogrammed and so pure. And it's like, look, granddad, I can actually float. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to my friend Madeline, who's obsessed with the uh, ups and downs and um, hijinks of Kanye. It's fast. I mean, it is fascinating. Kim, like I know, I know people who've worked with Kim, and you know that whole family—they are really smart people. Oh, sure, no question. To discredit that and look at where they are now is stupid, you know. And and um, uh. What they've created, I mean, you know, they've created a sense of like, I think r- a return of like what we had when we had like the Rockefellers and, and yeah. the Kennedys of like American royal families. And then correspondingly, the loathing of them by a lot of people simply because of the net worth. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's like to me, they are a product of their environment, but they they just they they found what was already there and they used that to then obviously create this like incredible crazy empire right you know um and to me it's more them as individuals i think you know whether you love them or hate them there's a sense of like admiration of just what they've been able to do yeah but the product of what they are and what that means and the way people look at them that to me is the thing that is scary Mm mm-hmm and in, w- in which way the um, the veneration of 
yeah, it's the it's the veneration. Um, it's this like hyper commodification and dehumanization of individuals. I think I also see it the most in the fact that their children in the same way that like if you're born into like the English royal family, their children are born into that life. Yeah. And now will have to be a part of it. They right. have no choice. You know, right. this is an inherited empire now. Yes. In a way that I think is and and w- which we saw to a degree with Kendall and Kylie, you know, they grew up on that show. Kent, so they didn't necessarily want to be in that show, but they that was it. Yeah. You know, once you're on, and obviously it's like again, it's not the woe is me. You know, they've they've been given everything, but but still, it, you know, it is true. You know, that is an odd existence compared to yeah. a lot of people. Granted, people are in worse circumstances, but then again, that has no bearing on what that is. It's almost like imperative suffering. Completely, it's, it's not. It doesn't really hold any water. Yeah, it, it shouldn't anyway. Yeah. yeah, I think that's something I always find very. Uh, fascinating is just i can't it's i can't remember what the quote was per se but just that yeah that everyone's own suffering is for them absolute right especially because your context is what it is so your point of reference is whatever your point of reference it's your life you know and you ultimately we can't at least in any concrete sense you know maybe maybe we reincarnate maybe we don't but you can't experience other suffering other than like through empathy and through relationships right so like even if you're at the top that's why you know some of the richest people are the most miserable yeah you know it's all it's all relative to like what your own experience is it is and also what someone's gratitude level is i remember an incident in the last year where there was two people i know uh one say is very very has done very well in the industry they're both in the same industry Mm -hmm. the other person hasn't but the one who hasn't has a much better outlook on life. Yeah. They're doing okay. But the other one is like an insane wealth and all that stuff. Yeah. But they're such a bitter person that they were sniping at this other. It was just a crazy one of those things where you're like, wow, like they have so much. Yet. Yeah. It's clarifying. It is. And, and we need reminders of that all the time. Just like I find we need all need reminders of moments where I'm looking at the letterman options and i'm like i'm not gonna watch the kardashian one and then i went no actually now that's the one i'm gonna watch immediately because i just had that knee-jerk reaction so now let's check this out Mm -hmm. i like to do that with anything even like the Chappelle thing yeah you know i'm like now i have to watch the entire thing i watched most of it i didn't see the end piece uh even though i nodded and went yes yes to the thing you said so i'm outing myself here as a bullshitter for that moment you know Uh, i think there's a lot of bullshit in the room and i think that's a good thing (laughs) as queer i think i mean many people thrive off but i think especially as queer people we have an art of bullshit that is very special yeah and that's what we're trying to highlight here in yeah. a, a, a sort of a subtextual All of way. All not true. No, most of it. Well, some of it is, but then you have to figure out. Yeah. Which you have to are. be discerning as we have been telling you to do. You must make your own decisions. <laughs> exactly. This whole show is a lesson. Yeah. We're and actually, we have like some like low vibrational um, subliminal messaging coming in, coming in mm-hmm. during this special. So you're already trapped now. You're going to go like do your things and you're going to be one of our minions, but you're going to have a great time. And so basically what you've been listening to is a Literotica audio file that, um, so I hope you're happy. And, um, I'm trying to remember the name. I was trying to remember the name of a creator that makes those, uh, subliminal hypnosis 
porn audios and I can't remember. Wow, I need to do I need to experience that. I figured I'd check one out because I love audio based things, right? Mm-hmm. And I love dirty talk. I love all of that. Yeah. And a lot of porn. It, it, it doesn't do no, it. It doesn't do they it. They don't really give it because they're trying to focus on the visual. So it's just kind of like a second hand thing. Yeah. And a lot of times the worst is when the audio is bad. I just don't even try the rest of the file. I can't. You disconnect. Yeah. You dis- The worst is when it's mislabeled. If it says like dirty talking, blah, blah, blah. And they literally say nothing. And I'm like, this <laughs> is an outrage. Yeah. Uh, You're like, this is completely mislabeled. Yeah. Why do you think I'm here? And I think, and then I go, well, I am looking at a free porn site. So yeah. more fool me. Remember, pay creators, which of course we all do. We all do. But look, sometimes... You're looking around. Yeah, um, sometimes you're just trying to browse. You're not investing. No, you're doing you research. Wanna, you yeah. wanna, you're trying to sample before you like dive into the dirty talk world. Exactly. Yeah. So some of them, uh, Shibby says, I think is her name. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and so she's very kinky and she has a whole range of things Amazing. on there. A lot of her creations have like versions for various gender uh, identities and... Also, there's a few that are just reassuring ones that in uh, a couple anxiety attacks I had, in addition to some traditional Xanax, I would put that on and it would help me sort of go to sleep. And like, mix really it up. Times. Yeah, exactly. I like that as well. I like, um, yeah, like having more kinds of just like sex positive content that is encompassing of sexual experience, which in, in many ways is often not overtly sexual. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's like acknowledging like that the comfort, it's like that the aftercare, the pre-care. Yeah. The, yeah. You know, all, all those emotional, physical elements are also part of it, mm-hmm. which I think is good. I find it interesting doing that through um through audio. Yeah. It's fascinating. Cause I've I've done um I've done hypnotherapy, but that's diff that's like related just because I was thinking of like the subliminal messaging part. And there are those hypno clips as well so there is a tie although the hypno clips are a little confusing i've tried one or two of the audio ones but they ended up putting me to sleep which was great because you know but i was like hey i'm in for the ride here yeah and then i was like you never make it yeah i never made it to the end although who knows maybe like someone will say something one day and boom something will yeah Yeah, you'll have like that acid flashback damn yeah what but i'm sorry you were saying so you did hypnotherapy that's very interesting what was your take on it yeah um personally like and i only did it once with and it was with a therapist i'd been with for a few months um and she was great but it didn't really and i don't know if it was just her style that didn't work for me i was just aware of it the whole time oh okay i never got in it you know what i mean i was like aware of the mechanisms i was like i was like (laughs) hearing it and being like i see what you're trying to do here i see where you're trying to take me and she specifically did um this method where She'd be like, okay, you want to go back, go back to childhood, go way back. And then she'd be like, okay, you're going to think of – because uh, you would start with a – what's the goal to like maybe unknot your like aversion to conflict mm. or like not being able to ask for your needs. You know, you'd pick a thing and then she'd be like three, two, one and count you back to like, okay, a memory where that really was – that that notion was cemented for you yeah. earlier in life, often in childhood. Um and every time she'd count down to the that moment, my mind would just go blank. Because I think for me, um, and that's not to say that, that is that a lot of our problems and trauma aren't rooted in childhood, hmm. but for me it was never simple as one moment. Sure. You know, and I, I 
I think it's it would be easier if it was. It'd be <laughs> so, easier if yeah. I could be like, oh yeah, my mom was really mean to me, and that's why I have this thing. Yeah. I'm like it. It was more of a a knot of many things, you know. And it's also hard. It's almost like when someone's like, "What's your favorite album?" Absolutely. And you have to go to the one thing. Those thoughts, if you could collect them in a pouch when they approach you at four in the morning, or after like some conversation yeah. went sideways, and then suddenly the entire retinue of them. Is it's just like it's all there? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're watching like a clip reel. It's like when you have an argument and you can't think of anything to say, and then you're in the shower the next day, and you're like, <laughs> "God damn it! I have all the zingers I could ever need to win this." Yeah, it's yeah, and it was very that. It was that thing of someone putting you on the spot. Yeah, and which is related, by the way, to the thing because mm-hmm. you're on the spot in those moments. Exactly, and so it. I I don't know. Maybe there's other forms of hypnotherapy that might be. Uh, work better but that yeah it didn't it was i'm glad i did it though i think it's good to just try different forms of because our brains work in patterns right you know in a very literal way we have like certain neurons that are used more than others yeah and i think trying different kinds of therapy or just you know whatever that kind of you know work psychological work is for you Mm -hmm. it's literally just giving your brain other patterns to try right or kind of opening those ways and once it's open then you can you're familiar with it i guess so uh yeah i've gone on and off with therapy i think it's a it's a good tool i think everyone should try in some way i think so too i have to go back to it's been ages since i've been Mm -hmm. and but now i finally have full insurance which because uh, without that here as uh yeah you're screwed yeah <laughs> yeah that's another thing i loved about the uk i got a lot of medical attention did not pay a thing did you just go and were like i need you to look at every mole <laughs> i need you to fix my back <laughs> i should have done that but i was still stunned that when i called emergency or the ambulance i thought they were going to come pick me up i didn't know that they come to your airbnb if you don't seem to be presenting like a life-threatening in the moment mm-hmm. condition because it's better for them to not have the hospital bed filled up and it's also better for you to not possibly contract some illness at the hospital yeah so yeah, the, the one 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 is like for the non yeah it's a whole whole system yeah, yeah yeah and thank you again margo marshall for helping me out figuring that out oh margo yeah well margo was my angel like really helped me out like it, it was really took care of me and, and helped me pack up my airbnb lots of stuff so thank you again margo margo's amazing margo's the best let's talk a little bit more about the london nightlife because i'm thinking of that because yes. margo i'd love to get back to the therapy stuff uh again i'm sure we will oh, well, we'll wiggle through many many yes. topics yes we will so in london nightlife mm-hmm. what was the first event that you performed at oh that's a great question first event that i performed at actually i do remember i was uh rvt oh, okay yeah. the royal Vauxhall tavern they do um open mic nights mm-hmm. uh and this was while i was still hopping back and forth from exeter but I saw that they didn't, so I performed Shark in the Water. And this was before I started making masks even. I was just like in some kind of outfit. But it was it was great. And it uh because I I did musical theater and I was always creative as a kid. So getting to but then as a kid I never I think that was also what was great creatively for me. And what was kind of what moved me away from it as a kid was I was, you know, I was good at acting and I did some child acting and I was good in theater and I sang and I paint I did all the things but I was never like good enough in the one thing sure to do it in the way that the educational system 
kind of expects of you. And encourages as well. Yeah, and encourages. You know, I was always doing all, like wanting to do a bit of it all. Yeah. And it was only once I got in the the queer scene that I was like, oh, I can do, I can produce and I can perform and I can model and I can design and I can, yeah, you know, it was like there was no limits and I could just flow through all of those things in a way that uh, as like the entity of Stella Marbles, it was creating like sh- me as as that thing, but also that thing is me was like creating an art piece. Yeah. Creating an entity that is both myself, but also not. Yes. You know, um, and so those I think that like initial performance and those those initial months was like then really cemented that. And RVT is great as well for any any listeners out there. It's an iconic London venue, which somehow I managed to not go to. And I was <laughs> spending a lot of time with my friends, Mike and Maddie, who live literally around the corner. They're yeah. quite near where Ada is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, somehow it was like, oh, we've got to take you to the, and it just never happened. But then that's also, there was so much just good times hanging at their place. Yeah. And you know, like you have a dinner and then suddenly you're just kind of, not lazy, but you know, you're in that vibe. Yeah, you're, you're just, just like it. chilling, you're in it. And yeah. that's, you know, when you're with friends and when, that's the best thing is when you're with the right people and that's all you need. Yeah. And it's like, you don't want to fight that. No, you can't fight that. You can't fight it. And so now we'll just all have to get together and go the next time I'm in London. Absolutely. Well, and that's the, I mean, that's the great thing about London is these, not to say these spaces are eternal, you know, there's always a risk, but, yeah, you know, those spaces are there. And that's a, a landmark now, right? It RVT? is, yeah. So I think RVT is protected, which many spaces in London are not. And it's definitely one of the biggest issues I think of nightlife and just cultural spaces in london is they're yeah. really not being supported and they're they're at risk you yeah. know well especially in the last two years oh right? com- yeah lot yeah and lockdown and and covid hit the industry really really hard for sure but you know we we're, we're all fighters oh yeah that thing is like i always say it's uh like all of we say all the essential industries you know in the reality like obviously it's like healthcare and food but after that it's like it's it's sex work it's nightlife like at the end of the world people want to party people want to have sex people want to be free they want to be alive and that's never going to whether we're doing that in these venues or whether we're doing it in a basement or wherever it's like those spaces are always going to exist oh they are in some form hell or high water like we saw that in lockdown even in the middle of lockdown people were still throwing parties (laughs) you know and you can have your moral thoughts about that but yeah they were there and in, in in like kind of a chaotic way i think it, it's beautiful that that is something that we need as humans yeah well and also recognizing that we need it and just acknowledging it i think yeah that's something that's at the core of all the problems in the world generally is the non-acceptance of plain in evidence facts about mm-hmm. what human appetites are or what the human being yeah. needs not that everyone needs to participate in the same things obviously but yeah like socializing for instance yep having the complete removal of that for about a year and a half for me definitely fucked my head up it did it really i mean it fucked everyone's heads up and regardless of how social people were as before even if you were more of an introvert we need human interaction. And I think that yeah. was the great thing of, because a lot of people are like, oh, we're never going to go back. We're just going to have Zoom parties and et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> yeah, people did get awfully like, uh, what's the, like uh, dystopic about 
like the rest of, there was a lot yeah. of predictive people oh yeah. and it's always bad i was talking to a friend today about when people like to mm -hmm. prognosticate it's always negative it's we never lo we love it we love it and it's never really what it should be it's it's almost like the negative version of the tinfoil uh like all silver future mm -hmm. that we would see in sci-fi movies which wouldn't be that bad actually that's that the designs would be cool i'm happy for some like shiny outfits that would be great be great it never seems to factor in as much it, yeah, it goes in and out it comes a little but you know yeah. We get there, but it's never like the whole family. And, and no, we're never the Jetsons. No, and that's cool because we're never the Flintstones too. So it's always somewhere in between. Like we're a combo. <laughs> it's like these grand predictions about what's going to happen afterwards. Mm -hmm. It's probably going to be kind of in between. I don't know. That's why I like to think it's going to be anyway. Something in between. Oh yeah, I. That's the thing. It's we can never. It's again. It's going back to the whole being able to look at anything as black and white. It's so much easier to look at the future and be like, oh, it's going to be a utopia or a dystopia. Yeah. It's like both are true and both are true right now in the world. In <laughs> right. some ways we are for humanity in terms of like longevity and health and quality of life. In many ways, we're at the best place we've ever been in history. Yeah. But also in many ways, we're at the worst. Yeah. But also history and just like time, you know, it, it applies in both like a scientific sense and i think then also in like a spiritual medical metaphysical sense of that like time doesn't move we understand it as linear but it really doesn't move as linear even if you look at the cycles of history of empires rising and falling sure. and rising and falling it's like we're in a dance that we've done many times before you know and right. obviously now it's different in terms of technology and global warming like those are kind of unprecedented shifts in history yeah. um but you know, we also can't underestimate the, I think, the power of human like technology and and ingenuity and compassion. And um, the human ability and uh, of, uh, I'm trying to think of what the word is. Uh, what is the, the human ability to overcome yeah. things and also adapt and then improve? Yeah, we're, we're the most adaptive, in many ways, the most adaptive species you know, and that's both to our detriment in the most fundamental way. <laughs> and that we're too good at adapting yeah. to our environments. And that's sure. why we're everywhere. Yeah. Um, but it also means like we we have this survival that uh it keeps on keeps on ticking. Yeah. You know, and, and, and also I think it's the good uh the point of every at least I think in the last hundred years, I don't know. I can't speak for all the many people who've come before us um that we always think the world's gonna end right. yeah for all of human history we have always thought that the world is gonna end every generation is like well this is it yeah and obviously with global warming that is like a, maybe this is actually it that's true but also again it's going back to the the adaptation and technology so it's like we we really don't know and i think that's the if we it's e it's easy to go into the gloom and the doom. yeah it's always easy it's always easy and it's very hard sometimes to pull back from that but you, you have to yeah really because otherwise it's that's what i consider self-indulgence because mm -hmm. when you get into the realm of self-pity and even when you think that it's not self-pity because you think it's about the world in general there's a, a dark approach or lens to look through pretty much anything yeah and it, that's sort of the uh, last stage i think <laughs> completely and i think it's also funny in the sense of uh we look 
as humans, you know, we we look at ourselves as the center of the universe. Mm. And, you know, we're we're alive and we want to live. So that's kind of normal to be like, well, I got to keep this thing going. <laughs> yeah. But in the in the wider, like cosmic sense of all of time and space, et cetera, et cetera. It's like our actions, maybe they do have the most consequence. And also maybe they don't. Yeah. And it's also learning to take things less seriously. Right. You know, but with the utmost seriousness. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> it's that's the that truth. Like thing. We, we do have to take shit seriously, you know, because like our our space on this little rock is always very, um, it's always a tenuous. Tenuous indeed. Yeah. But at the same time, like we have to realize how inconsequential and how fun things can be. Right, even in the darkest times. Absolutely. That's yeah. it's it's and that's I think what again going back to nightlife and like those spaces they really did. It was like at the end of the day we need to live and have fun. Yeah. You know. And back to that. Yes. So you did that and that was at RVT. What was the mm -hmm. name of the night? Again, it was an open mic night. Did it, it have a name? It was just there Tuesday okay. open mic night. Yeah. Yeah, and then I just yeah. That was like the, I was like a little snowflake at that point. And then it just like <laughs> became a slow avalanche snowball situation. And what was in the progression, the next thing that started to happen? So from there, I then just started performing at different venues, doing like open mics and, all, you know, and then just going out all the time to parties, meeting people, connecting with people. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of moved more uh, into hosting and into the club scene. And like the kind of club kid scene in like the East London, just like describe know. the East London scene for those who are not as familiar. So the East London scene, it's um, it's punk, it's subversive, it's messy and chaotic. Um, it's really like a melting pot of every kind of like queer art, and it's a lot of people who are just challenging um, what drag is what club kids are what mm. queer art can be you know there's no strict definitions sure you know everyone's just like throwing themselves into like the fun house and coming out <laughs> and it's 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 a it's a chaotic wonderful wonderful space um and yeah and so i got more into that world and then i started after like a year or two i started producing uh club nights and parties so the main one was cookie jar which has been running now for like three years um, and I really wanted to do a night that just promoted drag and queer artists that didn't fit the norm, mm -hmm. you know, that didn't fit the norm of like the cis male wig, yeah. heel, death dropping queen. Yeah. And just create a space for that and create a space for people to also people who for who are unfamiliar with drag and queer art to come and explore that space. Sure. You know, like it's always a queer space first and foremost. Mm -hmm. But, but welcoming to anyone. Yeah. And to me, the more yeah. people who drink the Kool-Aid, the better. You <laughs> and know also what buy I mean? drinks better for the... Exactly. <laughs> Support us financially, but also like... And so that was great because I'd get... We would always get, you know, women, but also cis men coming and feeling really empowered and liberated. Yeah. And that's great because that's something that they... Because it's like, of course, we have to protect our spaces. And it's also good for staff spaces that really are ours. Yeah. You know, which is true for any marginalized communities. But when you put up too many walls, that's a problem too. Sure. You know, and 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 that's something I think that's, you know, we I think in maybe like the 90s and the 80s, you know, we had more 
I think in nightlife in particular, like you'd see in New York, there was a lot of fluidity mm, right. there. Whereas I feel like in coming into the 2000s, it's almost like we put up more walls again, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, 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 I did, started doing events. And then from that, I then moved. That's the thing about nightlife, you know, it's a, it is a cultural melting pot and it brings in people from every kind of creative industry, whether that's theater or fashion right. or design. Um, and in tandem with my uh, event production, I was designing masks that are like 3D printed and um, like vacuum forming all sorts of, not the COVID ones. Um, <laughs> and that was kind of my shtick. That was like my thing was to be a masked person. Mm -hmm. And when did that start? When Do you remember when that first came to you as an idea? It was pretty early. I think it was like maybe by the second or third time I was going out. And performing, I started wearing masks, and then it just never stopped. Um, now, the first mask that you wore was it a mask that you found? Was it one that you created yourself? Um, Some variant of that? Yeah, I think it was one I made myself. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a mask per se; it was like these glasses, and I put these like long paper lashes on them, and then had all these beads hanging from them. And I was just playing around with distorting the face mm -hmm. through wearable things. Yeah, and then that pretty quickly evolved into into masks and then that's a practice I've, I've continued and that was kind of in tandem with nightlife then what led me into doing more in fashion like working with designers and working in um different like museums and cultural spaces through both through the events and also through the masks sure and so, so some of the folks of the museums etc would be witnessing your performances and then talk to you is that the progression or it was a combination it was a combination of yeah of coming to events but also seeing my work on social media you know um or i would say maybe work with a designer mm -hmm. to do masks for a collection and then someone would see it yeah and then uh they invite you to invite me in yeah 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 so it was, it was like from again it's always like from many fingers and many pots just coming. It was it, it was very organic. Yeah. And that's the best thing. And I'm so fortunate that, you know, just I just jumped in just to save myself emotionally and spiritually and in all ways, you know, mm -hmm. just because I loved it and I needed an escape. And then it just evolved into a, into a career, you know, but one that's always changing. Which sounds like it's great, though, because you never get too much of the one thing. Yeah. You alternate. Oh, absolutely. And I think that was going back to that thing of never being, never wanting to just do the one thing. Right, right. You know, it's like I'm, I thrive, I think, most because I, I like doing, and I think that's why I like event production is I like the technical, I like the yeah. organizational as well. Yeah. You know, and I like exercising that part of my brain, but then I also like the fluidity and the expansiveness of just, say, making a piece of art. Right. But not one sustains me, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think I think that's a good I think yeah, for me it's it's a it's a good way to I'm I also just don't like to be bored. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and you know what I find? When I, I'm always interested in so many things. I'm n I never find that I'm bored. Do you? How can we be? I don't know. I don't understand like to me like not boredom in the like of course everyone gets bored in times, but I mean in terms of being bored with creative worlds, with art, with what I do. You can start hating something. Oh, for sure. And you can be resentful or you can be worn out. Yeah, you can lose perspective. Absolutely. You can be looking at micro details that aren't even there the next time you look at it, et cetera. But yeah. boredom, 
I don't know. No, I for me it's usually the opposite of I'm overwhelmed by <laughs> how much whether it's in one project that I'm doing or just looking at the creative industry as a whole and just being like, wow, there's so much here. Yeah. There's so much art and so many people are creating all these things and I wanna I wanna know it all and I wanna do it all. Right. And I'm one person. Yeah. You know, but that's that's a good um that's a good problem. It is to a good have. problem to have. Yeah. It's a good problem to have. And yeah. I think that's one of the positive things of, you know, social media and digital communities are a double edged sword. But to me that's one of the very magical things about it is the opportunities for connection and discovery. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. And it's opened up so many worlds. Like, you know, on all the projects I'm doing right now and have done for like maybe the last few years, especially once I started doing creative direction and just work outside of just London, um, is like I'm working with people all over the world. Yeah. You know, I'll be working with like a shoe designer in London and then I'll be working with like a 3D printer in Paris. And it's like, or even just having conversations with artists all over the world. And that is so... That's so exciting. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that, uh, you know, it's obviously made difficult by uh, COVID, but also actually in some ways, again, going back to like the gloom and doom. Yeah. To me, a lot of great creative things came out of COVID. I agree. Even even though uh, I bristle, you know, when people say it's really been one of the greatest times oh my of God, my life. No. That makes Lies. me so ill. Liza Minnelli. Yeah. <laughs> or if it's true, shut up. Yeah. Don't talk about yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> like knock it Just off. Just because you've yeah. like figured it out doesn't mean the rest of us need to hear it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that gets into the whole money disparity thing and people's lack Abs- of uh, awareness, yeah. deliberate sometimes, to realize that they have it better in yeah. some ways than others. You're like, oh, I work from home now and I have so much money. It's like, well, not everyone, especially like artists and freelance people. <laughs> yeah. Like in London, we were lucky to have furlough. Sure. But that only applied to people who were in salaried jobs. It only worked if you were at that job for more than three months. So, so many, and the people in freelance didn't get, didn't start getting funds from the government until like, I don't know how many months, but at least like a few months into the lockdown. Yeah. And these are people who live like week by week. Exactly. So we're just fucked in every sense you know yeah. and, and we at least had a furlough in the U- in the u.s there was like there was unemployment but again there was certain restrictions there yeah. were ppe loans which were great and yeah. they were really what they said they were yeah. like yep forgiven yeah which is wild because you when you that started getting announced it's such an unfamiliar thinking, world here you're like i get money and i don't have like a crazy <laughs> interest rate what <laughs> is that something like crippling uh the five years ten years of my life afterwards but in terms of the artistic things i noticed the thing about mm-hmm. zoom that is great is that it has opened up the thing of like well you know you can film something with someone yeah across the globe now obviously in-person taping is way better yeah. Like, this is so much fun, and I'm so happy we could do this. Me too. But the fact that we could, if we had to, do the Zoom, great. Although I can't wait till really everything's cleared up, because there's like a whole bunch of people that... um uh You want to have here. Either here or go back to London and talk. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you got to come back. It's a, it's really juicy right now. Yeah, well, I see Insta stories, and mm-hmm. I'm like, ah. Yeah. yeah. No, well, it's like, and yeah, going back to like the, the positives, like in some senses, it's like you know put down i don't think a literal barrier but like a mental barrier Mm -hmm. in terms of like communication and working across the globe yeah but also in a literal sense 
on one hand, our nightlife venues were really hit, right? Yeah. But because a lot of office spaces either were abandoned or just lost property value, you know, a lot of queer people and a lot of artists in London were able to get studio spaces that they never would have been able to afford before. Oh, okay. Yeah, that is great. Which is great, yeah. you know? And, and that's not across the board. It's not like, you know, we were still, a lot of the, we were also hit financially of like not having as many wages to get those spaces. Yeah. But it definitely opened up a lot of like office and studio spots that weren't available. And also like coming back in to when things did open up again for us, there's just a surge of energy. And I think also a lot of freshness, not in just like new people coming in, but also people just like having a renewed perspective. Because that's the thing about any career, but especially creative ones is it's a, a lot. Nightlife is a hellhole, you know? <laughs> it's like, it's it's a gauntlet that never stops. And that's amazing, but it's it's hard. But people having actually that time to rest you know, it was really hard for a lot of people, but I think it, it in some ways was also very needed. You know, sure, enforced stop. Yeah, to think I needed difficult. it yeah. big time. And I was fortunate <laughs> enough to be in a position where I, I still was able to support myself financially. And I got, yeah. I did get furlough, you know, so I was lucky. But I needed that stop so bad because I'm, I'm the kind of person that unless I'm stopped by like illness or some like very literal like cage <laughs> i won't stop has that happened no. um not recently <laughs> but you did say that you're very open to all sorts of things so that maybe once there was yeah, a, yeah maybe once maybe twice i'm not i'm not averse to anything <laughs> that's the kind of spirit we yes, encourage absolutely <laughs> yeah the i'm like that as well i'll just keep going and going and going yeah and going uh sometimes grinding myself into the ground yeah. No, I mean, and again, it's the nature of the economy we live in. Well, true. And also, I have a tendency to be addicted to projects. And Oh, 100%. We can't, we can't say, oh, it's all capitalism's fault. Like, we're also, yeah, when you get in that rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. You don't want to stop. It's exciting. It is, yeah. It's exciting, and you're in, like, a little fever dream world. That's um, my favorite thing, yeah, yeah, when you're finding some new subject or something that you can get completely... Uh, lost in yeah no it, it's good and i think i think it's all about finding i think that's what's nice about like kind of where i'm at now with the work i do that was one of the best things i realized when i started working in all these creative worlds was that my extremes weren't a bad thing right you know that yeah. actually existing in either extremes of creativity or of rest were actually normal and but they didn't fit into that nine to five they didn't fit into any of those modes of production and working yeah and nightlife was a place where i could navigate those and then now i'm not as full-on in nightlife but still my creative work allows me to operate in those spaces but it's uh it all flows right so you don't have a fixed schedule then no yeah which is i'm very i could never do i've done the nine to five and i've done it for a lot of jobs mm -hmm. in the past um but it never got – and people – I'm also just not a morning person. So often people were just like, oh, well, you know, you just have to get into it. Yeah. And then you'll get into the rhythm. Yeah. And it never happened for me. Every day was like pulling teeth. And it didn't matter if I liked the job. Oh, sure. No, it it's doesn't, just a it doesn't kind matter. Of, it's just a kind of rhythm that doesn't work. Same for me. I'll have 
periods of early yeah. rise, like t- today or this mm-hmm. week, really. But then earlier this week, I don't know what happened. I woke up after two hours, two nights in a row. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm like up because there's that different stage of like, you're like, I'm a little fuzzy. I'll read. Yeah. Or more likely be on TikTok or something. And yeah. then, yeah, Swiping. scrolling a little bit. And then, but then if I pass the half hour mark, I can start to get a dread. If it's in the middle of the night, especially. You're like, damn, am I really not going to go back to sleep? Oh, my dread is just like, I should be doing something. I should. Be. Oh, yeah. Because sure. I'm awake and yeah. I should be back. That's part of that whole work addiction thing no, but not even work is. but just like uh, let's get up and do stuff yeah no completely and i think yeah it's like it's in fi- that finding that middle ground of like it's great to have a career have like a mode of work where you can exist in your extremes but you also have to either have something or someone or some way of <laughs> pulling yourself out of yeah. out of those extremes as, as well yeah but well, it's 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 the it's that like I think in society we talk about balance and structure, which are important, right? Yeah. It is good to have balance, but I think we have a very limited view of what balance is. Sure. To me, balance is uh, just finding the ground wherever you are. Mm-hmm. You can either be at the bottom of the ocean or you can be on the mountain, you know, like whatever kind of chaos is around you, it's that you can just find kind of you can meet your needs there. You can find yeah. some kind of equilibrium in your brain um, rather than always trying to force yourself into like a structure that you're always going to feel a little boxed in, I think, if it's yeah. not in your nature. I, I agree. And also, if you think like I always have to be productive or I always have to, then you can suck the joy out of the things that you're doing that you love yeah, and start dreading it and then have obligation come in and then all of those weird systems that are really should be just affiliated with the things that are like a nine to five job that you're just taking for a while because yeah it helps to pay the bills so we can do that to ourselves with anything really so that's that's nice to know yeah but- <laughs> it's good to know we can never escape any of it <laughs> yeah we can put the dread right on the things yeah. that we're doing yeah but then i think just as long as you're aware of it you can temper it but yeah when you said about finding balance i think it's important to find out what are the things that you need to do to put a forcible stop yeah on your frantic um pursuit of absolutely and i think for me the hardest part of that is not you know because i and i think many creative people who i don't have add or adhd but i'm definitely like very close to it Mm -hmm. um uh i have a very short attention span you know, or or my attention span needs to be stimulated quite readily. Sure. You know, and and that's why again I like jobs where you can jump from thing to thing rather than spending like ten hours on one. Yeah. One thing that right. my brain just doesn't work that way. So in that sense, that stops me. And also, just like I, the food and the sleep, like I I do have creative periods where I go without it, but ultimately, they hit me at some point. You know. Yeah. But for me, it's more. Uh, it's more in the brain. Mm-hmm. It's that even when I do take those rest days or whenever I'm not working, it's that my brain is constantly thinking about it <sighs> and either either trying to figure it out or just stressing that I'm not doing that. And that's where the battle is is for me. And it's sure. you know, for some people, it's more about uh, it's more about like yeah, actually stopping and sleeping and all that. Sh- stuff Mm. but uh and that's hard because that's uh you just have to i don't know practice mindfulness or whatever kind of 
right. mental was... gymnastics, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that'd be back to the therapy thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do the work. Yeah, well, exactly. And whatever that is, whatever form it takes. Mm-hmm. And thus concludes part one of my lengthy, girthy chat with the fabulous Stella Marbles. Part two will be arriving next week. In the meantime, make sure to rate and review this show on your podcast player. That, of course, would be the five-star rating to accurately reflect your love for this show, particularly this conversation. And then head over to patreon.com slash Craig and Friends. 